Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Hey, good to see everybody. How are you doing this morning? Good, good. Great to be together. My name is Joey. I have the gift of serving Downtown Hope as lead pastor uh, with an incredible team. And uh, what a gift it is to gather week by week here. Uh, as David mentioned, we're beginning a new series this morning called Dear Church. Uh, we're walking through the letters of Colossians. <laughs> I know, I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that. Uh, Philemon. Uh, Philemon, Titus, Jude, and uh, Colossians. So, uh, we're learning how to pronounce words in different ways here, thanks to, uh, thanks to the Rev. Um, but the, the heart and the spirit behind the series is as, you know, as the, the good news of Jesus is um, saturating that first century landscape, um, new, new communities in Jesus form. Some existing communities start orienting around Jesus, and some new communities form altogether. And uh, when communities come together, there's drama. You with me? Like, everybody says, why is there so much drama in the church? I'm like, because a lot of churches are close, and when people are close, there's drama. And that's not a bad thing. It just means we have to work through it. And so the letters we're studying here, uh, Paul is writing to three individuals, uh, Philemon, uh, Titus, and Jude, and then also to the church in Colossae, which we're going to look at the next four weeks. And for example, in Colossians, Paul hasn't ever even met this community of believers. He doesn't even know them, uh, Epaphrodite believers, and now Paul's writing to them uh, to challenge them and encourage them. And, you know, our prayer as a team, as we, as the musicians and our leaders came together, said, you know, over these next nine weeks, as we go through these letters together, our prayer for this body is that we would grow deeper in Christ. Um, that's, that's our desire. We're, we're not here just to play church. We're not just here to, to have our ears tickled and go about our days and lives. We want you as a member of this body, as a part of this body, or if you're here and a friend's brought you and you're like hearing about the news of Jesus for the first time, our desire is that you would know Jesus and meet him. And, and there's a lot of people uh, in this place who would love to walk with you. So that's, that's our prayer. That's our heart for this series called Dear Church. And this morning we start in um, the book of Colossians. So you can open with me uh, to Colossians. This morning we're going to walk through verses 15 uh, through 23 here. And please, uh, you know, part of our formation is, is reading the Word, saturating ourselves with it. So we have a great discipleship resource called The Daily. You can sign up for it online. Um, if you've been following with us, you've been reading chapter 1 of Colossians this week. And um, so now we get to spend some time in it here. Uh, it'll be on the screen here behind me. I'll read it, <clears throat> and then we'll take the next few minutes to walk through it together. Sound good? Amen. Together with me here? Amen. All right. He, Jesus, is the one we're talking about this morning. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, 
and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence, and we acknowledge your presence in this space, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit, and that your Holy Spirit illuminates the truth of this sacred word to our hearts. Lord, not just to our minds, not just to our hearts, but to our bodies, to the whole of who you created us to be. And it's our prayer this morning that you would have your way in our lives, and that, Lord, whatever those things are that are distracting us this morning, you would uh, push them out of our minds. Um, Lord, whatever's hardening our hearts this morning, you would, you would quickly soften us. Um, Lord, whatever hurts and pains that are in this room that we're carrying, Lord, you would lift those. And you know each person, you know who you've brought here this morning for a purpose, and we believe you've brought us here to speak to us and to transform us by your grace. And so we, we sit under your word here, we sit under the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, and we pray, I pray that the things that are from you that I speak would be remembered and the things that aren't would be forgotten, and that, Lord, as we work through these letters, um, Lord, you would be the song of our lives, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I got my driver's license last week, just like we always talked about. Because <laughs> you were so excited for me to finally drive up to your house, but today I drove through the suburbs crying because you weren't around. Anybody know this song? Yeah, a few, few more people at this gathering than last gathering know this song. <laughs> With these words, the singer-songwriter Olivia Rodrigo uh, pens her hit song, Driver's License, uh, and goes on and on and on in this song about her breakup with her boyfriend. Uh, and every song is about something. Every written song is about something. What is Driver's License basically about? What is it? Grief. Heartbreak, yeah, somebody said loss, yeah. And, and, and there's a lot in there, and, you know, there's a depth to the song, but it, at the end of the day, it really is about her life, isn't it? It's really about her. It's really about what she's struggling with, what she's going through, and the song over and over again goes to great lengths to, she goes to great lengths to share about how horrible this breakup has been for her. There's a composition to the song of all of our lives, if our lives are a song, they're about something, aren't they? And the question this morning is, what is the song of your life basically about? Like, what, what if someone were to listen to the soundtrack of the song of your life through your days, through the months, through the years, what would they basically come to the conclusion of? What is your song 
the song of your life basically about? And the answer to that question for most of us often, if not ongoingly, regularly, is it's mostly about us. It's mostly about you. And that's not all bad. There's times to talk about your life and the things you're going through. I'm not suggesting we don't do that. More times than not, it's all about you. You are, or you become the highest, or we might say the preeminent subject matter of the song of our lives. And the problem with this, there's a lot of problems with this, but one of the problems with this is that a self-consumed life is an absolutely reduced life. It's a thin life. It's a shallow life. And do you know what else it is? It's a lonely, it's a lonely life through which you live and you're constantly thinking about your desires, your agenda, your pleasures, your wants, your needs, and you miss the bigger story and the bigger song that you've been written into. And this morning, amazingly, this little string of verses I read is actually a hymn. It's actually a song. It's an ancient hymn that the Apostle Paul draws and puts right here at the beginning of his letter to this church. Because this church, this community, this, this new you know, community of believers is struggling with the song of their life being all about them. In fact, as we go through Colossians, you're going to see there's really like two, two things they're struggling with that Paul is continually addressing. One is that they're worshiping, they're living in a polytheistic culture and they're worshiping multiple and they're trying to depend on all these lowercase gods to meet their needs because it's about them. The other pressure, the other thing they're struggling with is that uh, some of them have come to know Jesus through the Torah, through uh, the Jewish tradition, and so they are still holding on to the law and they're saying actually, if I just keep the law, if I just obey the rules of God, then God will bless me, and then God will do something good for me, then God will take care of me. And it's still, in both of those instances, all about them. They're both ways for them to get things that they want. And this passage really has one purpose, and this is the one thing that I want us to hear this morning as we walk through it. This passage gives us a new song to sing. And it lifts us out of our individualized songs that are about us, and it sets our imagination and our eyes fixated on the one who all of our songs are to be about, the one who is preeminent, the one who reigns and rules and is first above all. And Paul, in this song, goes to great lengths to say to his listeners and to try to convince us to say, there is a song at play in the world that is so much better than the song that is just about you and your life. Now, the background to this song, the background to this entire letter is that the Apostle Paul's in prison. So he's locked up, and he's writing this community of believers and they really deeply want their needs met. As I said, they're looking to multiple gods. They're looking to the God of the Bible to try to meet their needs, to make it about them. And Paul opens up in Colossians 1.9, and he has this prayer for them. And he says, um, from the day we heard about you, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And he doesn't just pray this prayer for them at the beginning, but then he gives them this song. And he says, let me just give you and show you how you can 
get spiritual wisdom and understanding. And this little passage is probably the most, one of the most famous passages in all of the New Testament. And certainly in the book of Colossians, he's going to come back to it. He's drawing on uh, Genesis 1 and, and, and the Psalms and Exodus and Proverbs. I mean, this, this little psalm here is packed with high theology, and we're just going to walk through it together here. Um, there are a number of observations. So instead, of, I just have one point, and then I have a number of these observations that we're going to walk through. So take notes as we go here. We're going to look at his nature, the nature of Jesus. We're going to look at the position of Jesus. We're going to look at the power of Jesus, the existence of Jesus, the involvement of Jesus, and then the community of Jesus. And we're just going to touch, you know, treetop through these. One might hit you in a certain take notes as we go, and we start here in the first part of verse 15, his nature. <clears throat> Paul writes this at the beginning of the song, first line of the song, he is the image of the invisible God. So Paul immediately is saying, this Jesus, Jesus the Christ, Jesus who is from Nazareth, is not just an exemplar. He's not just a wise sage. He's not just a teacher. He's not just truly human. He actually is truly divine, truly God, through and through. This is John 1. The Word in the beginning was with God, and the Word was God. And this is Hebrews chapter 1 as well. And a number, it's amazing, a number of the letters, a number of the New Testament books, like some of the first points that these authors are inspired by the Holy Spirit to make is that Christ is divine, that He is in fact God. Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Listen to this, the exact imprint of, the exact representation of his being. Another translation, the exact imprint of his being. This is so foundational to the song because it stands in stark contrast with the song of our life where we become the protagonist and we become the centerpiece and we become what oftentimes we try to make ourselves some type of a God. We want the glory, we want the praise, we want the honor, we want to be at the center. And here Paul starts off and he says, no, Jesus the Christ, Jesus himself, is the one who is God. This is his nature. And this is great news for us, because that means in the song of our life, we don't have to receive glory. We don't have to play God. We can release that and let it go. First point there, his nature, he's divine. Secondly, second part of verse 15, He's the image of the invisible God, and he's the firstborn of all creation. This little phrase here is really important. Now, you might read that, and you might say, is this saying that Jesus was created? Because uh, actually, some people have taken that and distorted that. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses think, uh, see Jesus as created. This is, that's not what this passage is saying. If you do the work and, and you go into the Greek here, um, the word here, firstborn, refers to either the first in the order of time, or the first in the order uh, of a family, like the firstborn, which is the place of honor, which is preeminent rank, which is the highest possible position. And that's the point that the Apostle Paul is making here. Jesus is God. He's divine. And as God, he holds the highest possible position in all of the cosmos. And that's one of the most amazing things about this passage is that it's not just talking about here and now, uh, the created world. It, it, we're talking about the invisible and the visible, heavens and the earth, the seen and the unseen, the cosmic scope of everything that has ever been and everything that has been created. Jesus Christ as Lord reigns and rules supreme over all of those things. We use the word preeminence, first above all, supreme, first above all, highest highest ranking. 
There is a cosmic org chart to the world, to the universe, to the cosmos. And everything, every person, every entity, every leader, every authority comes under the authority of Christ himself. This is the point Paul is making. He's saying, look, lift out of your song and see the bigger song that's been written in the world. And that is Christ rules and reigns as absolutely and utterly supreme over all. That is his position. And this is great news for us. Because do you know what that means? It means the pressure's off of you and the pressure's off of me. You don't have to figure out where things have to go and what things have to do. I'm not talking about basic stewardships of life, but the bigger questions of life and the bigger things that are going on, you can rest under the authority of Christ. You can rest under his position. You don't have to be in charge. You don't have to be in control. You don't have to be the boss. And also, maybe you have a boss or somebody in your life who you report to who's not that healthy or, or not that helpful. You also don't have to live, you know, in... Uh, total disarray because of that, because you know that ultimately Christ is Lord over these things. He has total authority. It frees us significantly to live freely in this world, to know that. Third, his power. Verse 16, you tracking with me here? Okay. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him as the firstborn of creation, as verse 15 says. What we find in this next verse is that he actually is the creator of all things too. So not only does he have um, absolute divinity, not only does he have absolute authority, but now we see the extent of his power, the extent of his power displayed through creation. All things were created by him. How often in our lives, in our days, as we go through our days in the song of our lives, do we just think for a moment, can we just get off of ourselves and think about Jesus Christ created everything. <laughs> everything you see, everything you don't see, everything from time past, everything from time forward, everything in eternity, it's all been created by him. And through him. And do you know what this means? This means that our lives don't have to be reduced to just being about us. We can actually look out to God's good creation and we can enjoy it. I know, you know, Earth Day was this last week, and, and I, I know there's lots of opinions on Earth Day, but as, as followers of Jesus, we care about the earth, we care about the environment. We care about how beautiful creation is. We care about how we steward our time and our resources in this planet, not because it's our job to save the planet. That's an incredibly arrogant statement. But because God created the planet, and it is a beautiful thing, and we have the gift and the opportunity to live under his loving authority and to care for and steward those good things that he's created. And do you know what else this means? is that not only is the good creation that we find ourselves in, that certainly there's distortion, there's certainly, uh, there's, it's riddled with sin, but, but it's, it's good, 
It's good created by God. We're to steward it well. But this also means that every human being on the planet as an image bearer of God, created in the image of God, is worth, is worthy and beautiful. And we ought to love and kindness to every human being on the planet, regardless of whether we agree with them or not. Okay, this is a hard word for the church and a hard word for our cultural climate now where we're deeply divided around all kinds of policies and politics and everything. As a follower of Jesus, we cut through all those things and we look at people in the world and we say, we don't necessarily have to agree with your behavior. We don't necessarily have to agree with your lifestyle, but we will love you freely because you are created in the image of God, even as I have been, even as we have been. And what that means, and let me just try to get a little uncomfortably specific here. Do you know what that means? That means Families, individuals, people in the Ukraine, some of the news that came out this last week who've been murdered, we've seen some of that, and some who are even being raped. Those people are precious image bearers of God, and it ought to grieve our hearts that that's going on. It also means the sojourner who's at our nation's borders or at any nation's borders. The scripture is deeply talks about this. The stranger in your land, welcome them in, love them freely. Why? Because they too were created in the image of God and deserve basic human dignity. Not because unto themselves they are, but because they are created in the image of God and it roots back to him as the creator. And so the sojourner on our borders is also a precious error. The person on death row, whether we agree with the death penalty or not, is an image bearer they ought to, they deserve dignity and love and our hearts ought to break for any life that is lost anywhere at any time. The unborn child, absolutely created in the image of God, sacred. And then, it, and then, and then this, this notion that God is the creator of all things, all people, I mean, it pushes us, doesn't it? Even the person who you would hate the most even the person you would consider your enemy, even the person you would say, I would never share a meal with them. I don't want to see them. I wish they were uh, not in office. I wish they weren't in power. I wish they weren't on the planet. I wish they were gone. That's your heart. I get that. There's justice in there. But that person too is an image bearer of God. And the reality when we see Christ enthroned, all powerful, all authority, and the creator of everything, it ought to humble our hearts, and we have to, with, hum, with humility, to see human beings as created in the image of God. And that's a hard teaching, because I know my own heart, and there's a lot of people that really bother me and annoy me. And you laugh because it's true of you, too. <laughs> and yet, this, 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 this song, this is a different kind of song. It's not a song that says, it's about Joey and what he wants, or about Katie and what she wants, or Mike and what he wants. It's about Christ and who he is and what he's, doing, what he's done and what he's doing in the world. And so we see his divinity, we see his authority, we see his power in his creation. But then Paul, in this song, it's just like the song just keeps rising. It just brings us into the nosebleeds here, Okay. And he goes on, he didn't just, all things were created through him and for him. And now verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now, try to wrap your mind and your heart and your imagination around this. 
Jesus Christ came in flesh, lived, died, resurrected, was ascended, now lives, reigning, ruling, awaiting to return. And Paul is proposing here that he is before all things, and in him everything holds together. He is the adhesive that brings things together. His existence is eternal. He has a beginning. You have a beginning. I have a beginning. Like we can mark the, the birth date in the flesh here in this world, okay? Jesus has no beginning. He always has been. Do you understand the implications of that for us? Think of the rest and the peace that that puts into our hearts. Think about his sovereign control as the adhesive that holds the world together. This is a struggle for me. Maybe it's a struggle for you. This means we can release things. It means we don't have to control outcomes. It means we don't have to control people. It means we don't have to control situations. It means we don't have to control our future. It means we can release control over the things of our past that are really, have really been hard and they're genuinely have been hard. It means he is perfectly in control of all things. And you and I may not know the outcome. We may not know the solution. We may not know how this thing ends, whatever this thing is. But he does, and we can rest deeply in his sovereignty, in his eternality. The temporary existence, our temporary existence in this world does not have to drive our song. In fact, think about how, think about how small and how thin of a song that is. If the song of your life is about the few things that happen in your world now, think about a song that calls you to live for something that's bigger than just your existence in this world. That's what Paul's proposing here. That is what this hymn, that's what this song is singing to us. And then he makes this shift and in, 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 in most theologians would, would see in this passage, this song kind of has two parts. The first part is really about, uh, about who Christ is and, and who he is in relationship to creation. And, and why is Paul making this, you know, uh, proposal? Well, he's saying this because his audience is struggling with polytheism. They're struggling with all, worshiping all kinds of gods. And what Paul's trying to say on the front end of this song is like, there is one God. There is one who is supreme. There is one who is preeminent. His name is Jesus. He's better than all of the other gods that you're trying to worship. But then the second part of this song shifts to incredible news for the community that he's writing to and incredible news for us. Because this Jesus, who is preeminent, who reigns and rules over all things, then we learn this in verse 18. He is also head of the church, his body. Think about the identification of Jesus with his people. He says, these people are my body. That is deep identification. I mean, think about the one who is preeminent and who we've been talking about as all authority, divine, all power. And he says, those people who identify with me, they're my body. I identify with them in such a way that I see them in that. And then he says he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, in the first part of this song, if you remember, he's the firstborn. But here, he's the firstborn from the dead. What is he talking about? He's talking about what we celebrated, what we celebrate every Sunday, but what we specifically celebrated last Sunday, the resurrection. Jesus is the first 
born from the dead. He came in flesh, died in love on our behalf, took upon the sin of the world, resurrected into a new kind of life. This isn't just like he was resuscitated. He was the firstborn of a completely new creation, a new humanity, as it were, that is unfurling, that is being unleashed in the world. Jesus doesn't just come to create, but he actually comes to recreate. And he recreates through the resurrection, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, and here's the word, here's, here's the key word for this morning and, and, and in this passage and what runs through Colossians, in everything he might be preeminent. That's the call to say there is at the chorus, at the peak of this song, <laughs> this call to see Jesus as first, as best, as ultimate, greater than every lesser love in this world. There's a great quote by the theologian Abraham Kuyper, and you may have heard this quote before, but he sums up, I think, this whole passage beautifully. He says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It's a total shift in how I see my life and how I see my things, and how I see my time. Is it not for you? It's a completely different song than the song I typically wake up and sing every morning, which is typically Joey, 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 Joey. <laughs> and the song that Paul is inviting us to sing is Jesus in the morning. Jesus at breakfast. Jesus at second breakfast. Jesus at lunchtime. Jesus as I'm walking to my car. Jesus as I'm going to the store. Jesus at punching numbers in a spreadsheet. Jesus as I'm meeting with somebody. Jesus as I'm in traffic. Jesus as I'm with my family. Jesus as I put my head on the pillow. Jesus in my greatest joys. Jesus in my greatest losses. The song is to be about Christ. The song of your life, if you are in Christ, is to be about Christ. When people listen to the song of your life, do they think first and foremost, there is a person named Jesus who is part of, that, part of their life, and they can't stop singing of him. They can't stop talking about him. They can't stop embodying him. Their life sings of Christ. Their life sings of Jesus. That might be a good exercise this week. I mean, it might be a really convicting exercise this week. But you ask a coworker, what does my life sing of? Would they say Jesus? I don't know if coworkers would say that about me. But that's the song. And that's the song that's being laid out here. And in this last few verses as we close here, uh, Paul, and thanks for letting me just walk us through this this morning. I know my points aren't like so tight and clear, but we're just kind of sitting under this song here. Um, I love how with like Jed and the musicians as the spirit works, like they didn't know that this was the metaphor I was running with. And yet like this is exactly what we were singing earlier, right? 
He is my song. Like, that's the point of this morning for us. That's what we, our prayer is that we hear. But, he, but Paul shifts in this last section. He says, well, what are the implications for us of this? What does this song have to do with your life and my life? It is the song that our lives should sing, but you would probably say to me, if we were having a one-on-one conversation here, that, that's like, thank, thank you for this message, Joe. I mean, maybe you say thank you, maybe you wouldn't, but you'd say, at least here, here it is. But like, you don't know what's going on in my life. How can I not be consumed with myself? You might say to me. Um, and I know, like I know you, I know you all have things going on. I know some of your stories, and you know one another's stories, and it's real, isn't it? It's hard. There's a lot that would, in this life, that would cause us to turn inward and to focus solely on ourselves. In this room, I know there are stressful decisions to be made. Decisions you're overwhelmed with. You don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know where, where the next come from. You don't know how to make this decision. You don't know if you make this decision, what that's going to lead to. And you're overwhelmed by that. And maybe you're stressed by that. I know in this room there's conflict. There's conflict in marriages. There's conflict with children. There's conflict with friends. There's conflict with family members. I know some of us in this room are deeply struggling or have struggled with fear. The world is uncertain. It is. Like, I'm not going to lie to you about that. And, and there, there is real fear around that. What's going to happen in the future? Some of us are, are uncertain about our finances. Some of us in here, I mean, you're just, the struggle is I don't even know if I buy any of this, Joey. Like, I don't even know if God exists. I'm struggling just with the reality of whether or not anything you've said this morning is true. It's a real struggle. I know there's hurt in this room, and there's loneliness in this room. And you might say, I am so overwhelmed with life. How, how can Jesus possibly be the song of my life when I have all of these things going on? And here's the thing. You can't just make Jesus the anthem of your life. This is kind of the point of not only this passage, but all of Colossians and really the whole story of Scripture. Story is not God demands that you somehow, with all of your religious strength, make him the song of your life. You don't actually have the power to do that, and neither do I. Like That will lead to absolute and utter burnout, or it will turn you into the hardest, most legalistic religious Pharisee in the world. In fact, in these last few verses, this idea of reconciliation comes up, verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The fact that there is a need for reconciliation, the fact that there is so much in your life that is overwhelming and is broken is a test to the reality that there is this thing at work and at play in the world called sin. And what that means, what that means ultimately is that you can't write your own song about Jesus. You need somebody to write that song for you. You need Jesus himself to break into your life. I need him to break into my life and to put a new song in my mouth. And there's incredible news this morning that he has 
that's the good news of this passage. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the message of Jesus in its essence, is that he has now reconciled, verse 22, in his body of flesh by his death, us back to God in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. While we were utterly consumed by ourselves, while we were dead in our sins, when we were dead spiritually is what the scripture describes as hard word to, to, to think about that reality. When we were utterly separated from him, drowning in our own overwhelming of our stuff, our own sin, effects of sins from others, in love, he came to us, the preeminent one, the very subject of the song this morning. Jesus Christ comes and he gives himself in love the cross was the song of suffering love where Christ cries out, it's finished. And in the wake of the cross, as he takes upon himself the things that we deserve and we get set free by the blood of Jesus, there's a new song that's put into our mouths. There's a new song that's put into our hearts, a song we can rest in, a song we can sing, not that we write ourselves, a song that he's written and that we get to sing. And then he, through the power of his spirit, sings that song through our lives. And you know what? We're going to mess up. We're going to be consumed with ourselves. That's going to be an ongoing process that the Lord's working out. The good news is that he has put the song in our heart, and we get to sing it together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this vision through this song of your of your firstness, of your preeminence, of your supremeness. Um, Lord, there's so many ways we could describe it. And we're asking that this morning you would send that song into our hearts and that we would no longer, um, we would no longer sing a song in our lives that was all about us, but our lives would sing of you. And we thank you that you've provided the resource through the cross to make that happen. And so we rest in you. We rest under your sovereignty. We rest by your grace. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Each week as we come together, we partake in a meal. We join with our brothers and sisters in Jesus all around the world. And...